Well, we are continuing to look at the book of Exodus and see these truly amazing and wonderful pictures that God was presenting in terms of redemption and salvation. How He was going to save His people and not particularly to the people of Israel. These things were a picture of how God was going to save His people when Christ came. And tonight to begin to come now to Exodus 20, we need to uh, remind ourselves of the scene that we're at as we consider this great moment that is going to change everything in the life of Israel's history. In Exodus 19, we, we saw this scene open as God is about to enter into covenant with His people. He tells them essentially the stipulations of this covenant. You saw what I did. How I led you out by a mighty hand. How I destroyed Egypt. I brought you to Myself. And now if you will do the things that I command you, I'm going to make you a holy nation. I'm going to make you a priesthood. You're going to be My treasured possession. And the people responded to that message given to them. All that you have spoken, we will do. With that in mind, now God is making preparations to come and meet His people. Two times in Exodus 19, it tells us that the people are going to meet God. They are going to meet Him at this moment. And so God says before that can happen, the people need to consecrate themselves. They need to be made holy. Furthermore, they cannot come anywhere near the mountain. Put boundaries up around the mountain so that no animal, no person comes near and touches that mountain. For if anyone touches it or comes on that mountain, they're going to die. So make yourselves ready. Be prepared because God is going to come to you and it is going to be quite a moment. And we're told in verse 9, the reason that God is doing this is so that they would believe in Moses forever. That God is going to do something significant here so that from this point forward they will now turn their eyes to Moses and listen to him and believe in him all the days of Moses' leadership. And so with those things in mind, we have then God saying, do these things, get the people ready, set the boundaries, be consecrated, wash your garments, because on the third day I'm going to come to you. And third day the glory of God is going to be revealed. And remember how that scene then unfolds folds as the third day comes a loud trumpet blast sounds and the people come out of their tents and they're about now to go meet God and the mountain is covered in a thick thick cloud and we are told that there are thunders and lightnings there are rumblings the the mountain is shaking it is burning like the fire of a furnace that is rising up and the trumpet blast gets louder and louder and louder and we are told that the people are trembling before this mountain and then once more God tells Moses to go back down And tell the people one more time, do not come near this mountain. Do not touch it. And so Moses then goes down and tells them one more time not to touch the mountain. And that's when chapter 20, now with the scene of thunder and lightning and thick cloud and smoke and the people in great dread and terrifying fear, will now hear these words. And please note in chapter 20, verse 1, it says... And God spoke all these words. Now, 
In trying to visualize in your minds what that may have looked like, if you look back a few verses, you might remember in verse 19, in chapter 19, we're told that when God was speaking to Moses, it was speaking in the sound of thunder. And so this is not a silent, quiet whisper as God now reveals Himself to the people. Exodus 20 and verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything. That is your neighbor's. And so now God speaks. And this is what he says. Uh, About a year ago, two years ago, I went through those commands very carefully, one by one, and spent a lesson on every single commandment that we did. And so I won't go back and do that for you and do a ten-part series of that which I, I have already done. If you're interested in the details of that, those are online for you to read and listen to. What I'd rather us do then is take a step back and just simply ask the question, what is God doing right here? Because God has said that you're going to now meet Him. And what is God trying to accomplish in this? What is He accomplishing as He gives these commandments? What is His intention with the people as He proclaims these laws? And there are a couple of things the Scriptures tell us is God's intention as He gives the law here at Sinai to the people. The first thing that we should look at that we're told is that we're supposed to recognize how glorious 
this law is. Over in Isaiah 42 and verse 21, Isaiah declares, The Lord was pleased for His righteousness sake to magnify His law and make it glorious. Now, why was this law so glorious? Why was it so wonderful and amazing? And you might answer, well, because God gave it and everything God does is amazing. Well, that's true. But there's more to it than that. Remember that this is God now expressing himself to the people. They don't really know him. And now God is revealing himself. And the way that he reveals himself is through these words. And the words that he gives is law, what we often call the Ten Commandments. Literally here, the Ten Words are given. And the reason why that would be glorious is not only because God gave it, but because laws reflect your character. Laws reflect who you are. Laws reflect your nature. And you can prove that in your own household. What determines the rules you give in the house, especially if you have children? Why are the rules the way they are? What do they reflect? They reflect your attitude about things. They reflect who you are. They reflect your point of view. They reflect your knowledge. They reflect your very character. The rules you lay out, the laws you give, show who you are. And that is what God is doing here at this moment, is showing who He is by saying, here is my covenant, here are my laws, here are my rules. And it's not for us to read it and go, okay, so just do these ten things and you'll be happy. You know, it's all okay with God, it's all going to be good. So often, God's commandments are treated that way. But you were supposed to read the commandments and understand God. This is revealing the character of God. God has come to meet His people. And now He finally arrives and the mountain is shaking. The people are standing there before the mountain awaiting God's arrival. And what they get is a voice from heaven declaring these commandments. The reason why the law is glorious is because it reflects who God is. It is a reflection of the very nature of God. In fact, when you read in the New Covenant and you read that Sermon on the Mount, that's the very same takeaway that's happening there. Matthew's scene opens in such a similar way. It mirrors the wilderness scene. And now Jesus comes up on the mountain and He begins to speak and what He gives is the very character of God. And he describes, here's what you must do. Here's what you must understand. Here's what you must know about God to be in relationship with him. And what we should never do as we look at the word of God and the laws of God or the teachings of God is think that these things are just simply, you know, moral maxims and instructions on piety or something like that. That when you see a commandment or a law given by God, it is an expression of the nature of God. You are learning about Him. He is telling you who He is by the law He reveals. 
And that's what is intended here at this moment. Exodus 19 has prepared the people. You're about to meet God. And think of all the ways that God could have had the people meet Him. He could have done, you know, a great massive miracle right here. We could have had, you know, let me just kind of give you a sermon here. He gives ten laws as a reflection of who He is. As a way to describe His character and His nature to these people. That they would come to know Him and understand who He is. And so that's why the Scriptures will speak about how the law is glorious in every way. Why the writer of Hebrews will speak of it in the very same way. Why Galatians will also refer to it that way. This is an impressive moment as God is revealing His nature. The second thing that is also important of what God is attempting to show the people that they would understand at this moment is the problem of sin. The law's intention not only shows the character and the nature of God, but it also shows what is right and what is wrong. For example, Romans 3 and verse 20. For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 7 verse 7. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known that what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The second reason why God does this is to reveal sin, to express to the people, here is what is right, here is what is wrong. And again, this is the graciousness of God. Because what God is doing is revealing what causes an individual to be separated from God. In fact, is that not really why the rules you have in your home are the way that they are, especially if you're talking about kids? Do these things. We remain in favor. Break these rules. We got problems. And that's what God is doing. He said, I'm not going to surprise you here that, oh, I had no idea what the laws were. God wants to reveal himself, show his nature, show his glory, show his character, while at the same time showing the people, here's what sin is. If you do these things, you will live. If you do these things, you will die. And God wants to reveal that then to the people so that they will understand what God was. That these are the boundaries that are laid out. But here is a a major misstep that happens with God's law. It is a problem that happens all throughout Israel's history. It is a problem that Jesus deals with. It's a problem that the apostles deal with. That the intention of the law was never for people to look at it and go, I am doing a fantastic job with this. (laughs) And yet so often that is exactly what you see Israel doing, what Jesus is fighting against, what the prophets are fighting against, what the apostles are fighting against. You can read in the writings of those of Israel that there was this belief that, well, if you did 51% of the law, you're doing great. That was never the intention. The intention was never, you know, if you can get six out of ten, you're doing okay with God. 
No, rather, the intention was to show you have a problem before God. And this is something the New Testament expresses again. And again, Acts 13, 38. Here Paul preaching, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes, notice it, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You were in trouble with the law of Moses. You didn't have safety there. You were supposed to look at the law and go, oh no, I have a problem. That we are breaking God's law. In fact, Colossians 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There's God's law right in your face. You are in debt to God. With all of its legal demands, you're doomed. This he has canceled out. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. The point of the law was not that you would see that you are doing good and say, wow, I'm doing great. The point of the law was for you to see how far away from God you were. Which if you think about the scene of Exodus 19, that's exactly what God's communicating. You better consecrate yourselves. You better not touch the mountain. You better stand back because the holiness of God is on display. And you need to understand the weight of that glory and that holiness. And that people would not look at his law and go, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people. And Israel did that all the time. And God says, no, the intention of my law to you was not so that you would think you are doing good, but rather that you would see how you'd fallen woefully short. When we did our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we noted that was the very intention of Jesus. Because remember, what had the Pharisees done by this point when we come to the first century? Well, as long as I don't murder, I'm doing okay, right? And Jesus comes along and goes, "Uh, actually, if you're angry with your brother, you're doomed. Don't try to make it easy. You're not supposed to look at the law and go, I'm doing fantastic. How about if you're angry with your brother? Now are you feeling good about God's law? Not so much. How about love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Okay, we're all good on that one. Well, then Jesus comes along in that Sermon on the Mount and says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your fathers in heaven. What's Jesus doing? Showing you're not supposed to look at the law and go, man, this is great. I am fantastic. But oh, no. This is the holy, perfect character of God, and I am falling woefully short of it. This is why he rounds out this section by just simply saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How's it going for you? And even if we say, you must be mature as the heavenly Father is mature, how's that going for you? And if we we say, you must be complete as the heavenly Father is complete, then how's that going for you? The intention of God's law is so that we would look at it and that we would see the glory of God. 
and in the face of seeing how glorious God is through that law, what we would see then is our extreme sinfulness. That we would see that we cannot stand before a holy God. In fact, I want you to notice that God does exactly what he intended here. Look at now what happens at verse 18. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. You see what they just recognized in all that? God's intention of coming in this way, in all of this magnificence and glory and power, and then speaking His laws, was to get people to go, we are in trouble in the face of those laws and in the face of the presence of God. And notice, that's exactly what they do. They stand back and go, we are in so much trouble. <laughs> we are do- Moses, don't let God ever do that again. In fact, notice what, they, what Moses says in verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Moses says, you want to know why God did all of this? It's so that you wouldn't sin. He comes in this way and expresses his laws for this purpose. I don't want you to sin. Now, do you notice the the interesting thing that he says in verse 20? Verse 20, Moses says, I don't want you to be afraid. I just want you to fear him. <laughs> you kind of read that and go, what? Don't fear, just fear. That's what verse 20 says. What are you getting at there? The point of what God is doing is not so that you would be in a relationship with God in sheer terror at all times. That's not the idea but that a recognition of the presence of God and the glory of God and the law of God would translate that terror into a respect and awe of God. That's what He wants you to move to. I don't want you to be scared of Me. Don't be that. But you're to channel that so that you will now listen to what He says. That you will obey Him respect Him, fear Him, and stand in awe of Him. That's the whole idea of why God comes on the mountain this way. And that's what He's communicating is, if you remain in relationship with Me, you have nothing to fear. If you obey My words and keep My covenant, there's absolutely no reason to be terrified at all. You come right on in and be before Me. God is desiring that relationship and calling for them to do that. So don't be afraid. God is calling you into covenant with Him. But you better have a healthy awe and respect of who God is. And God comes in this way so that we would remain loyal to Him. That it would transform our hearts in a way 
so that we would not sin. I hope that we would consider then, we shouldn't be afraid of feeling fear before God. Because that is God's intent to move you to the right response of then not being afraid, but respecting Him and obeying Him. The best way I can relate that is parenting operates that way. The kids are not supposed to be afraid of the parents. But there's a fear that comes from initially being afraid. (laughs) And that's how that works. An understanding that this one is greater than I has authority and therefore I must respect, obey, and have fear. And that's what God is saying to the people here. A beautiful picture of what He desires to respect Him, to obey Him, and to fear Him. Did you find verse 19 fascinating though? I want you to notice there That God does not come to them and say, you guys need a mediator. You can't handle this. You have to appreciate that the people understood this. As soon as God gets done speaking these commandments, what the people say is, we cannot bear to ever have that happen before, uh, have that happen again as it happened before. We need a mediator. And we should be impressed by that. There's oftentimes a lot of people who think, well, I just give, I want to have my stay in the presence of God. I just could talk to Him. You do not want that. Job found that out the hard way. All throughout. If I could just get my chance to be in this presence. And when He finally does, how do His arguments go? I'd sum it up in two words. Oh, no. He recognizes this was not the way to go. You need a mediator. And that's what the people now understand is we cannot handle speaking directly to God. We need someone to tell us God's word. And this is the intent that we have with Christ. That's what makes Jesus amazing is that it's not like Moses where God goes, okay, God, I'm going to tell Moses, okay, here's what I want you to go tell all the people. Then Moses turns around and goes, okay, I'll go tell all the people. Jesus is God. And yet he comes in the flesh so that He can model, live, and tell us as mediator what God's will is. So it makes Him amazingly unique. Now it's not God going, okay, I'm going to tell this individual like a prophet, and the prophet go tell the people. That's how God was operating all throughout that Old Testament time. But now He's spoken by His Son. God Himself comes but not in a way that we cannot stand before Him and hear Him. He takes on flesh and then moves about the people. It's a stunning thing that God does in coming into this world in the way that He does so that we can have a mediator while at the same time He remains as God. Notice this is supposed to be transforming to everything they do from here on out. Verse 22 And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. 
You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And if you if, and you shall not come up by the steps of my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Do you see what God just did? What an amazing turn. Okay, here's the Ten Commandments. The people say, we need a mediator. Moses goes, alright, I'm going up to God. First message that God now has for the people. Well, here's what I want you to tell them. Verse 22. You have seen that I spoke from heaven. You've seen that I spoke to you from heaven. Why is that so significant? Notice what verse 22 then says. Therefore you should not have any idols. What God does is He says, the reason why you did not see me, but only heard my voice, is so that you will not make anything that is supposed to reflect my image. I want no idols. Verse 23, do not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make yourselves gods of gold. I don't want you to make a single thing. There's a reason why it is my word that I spoke. So that you will not make some kind of image and try to worship me through that. Which is extremely powerful because what God is communicating here is that anything you and I try to conjure up or create to try to honor or reflect God only diminishes His glory. As soon as you try to make anything that would have any kind of representation of God, who He is, or His glory, you have defiled God and profaned God because you can't even begin to grasp the glory of God. We should be staggered by that. Have you seen some pretty impressive things that men have made, particularly as they thought they were honoring God through that? Uh, a couple of years ago, we, we on our summer vacation, we went to Utah, Mormon temple. Lots of gold, lots of marble, lots of impressive things. If you've ever been in one of the cities where there is one, they are amazing pieces of architecture. People throughout history have tried to use architecture in a way to try to glorify God through a building. People have tried to use Icons and images and statues and all these kinds of things as a way that they think that they can glorify and honor God. And I want you to notice what God says. God says, you didn't see anything about me so that you wouldn't make anything. Because if you begin to make anything, you've diminished my glory. He's so concerned about that. Notice in verse 24, here's what he wants. Just make an altar of earth. When you make your sacrifices, I just want you to dig some dirt into a pile and offer your sacrifice like that. I don't want you making anything. 
Don't try to make something special. Just kick some dirt up, altar good enough, cook it, go. And then notice what he says in the next verse, verse 25. If you get some stones to make an altar, don't you dare cut it. Don't you dare try to make that pretty. Don't you dare try to carve it, make it smooth and rounded up. Just stack some rocks and make your altar. Don't do anything else. Why? Because worship is not supposed to be through those things. God is already communicating from the very beginning that it doesn't matter what's on the outside, but what matters is on the inside. That it doesn't matter what the altar looks like. What matters is what's on the altar. I don't care about a building. I don't care about an altar. Later on, David's going to say, boy, I think it's really terrible that that you don't have this glorious place. We should build you a temple. And God says, I don't care. The tabernacle's good enough because he's not concerned by those things. He is not moved by the things that we make. He doesn't care how pretty a building is. He doesn't care what it looks like. He doesn't care how we could throw all kinds of money at it. He doesn't care. He says, make some dirt. Use that as an altar. Good enough. I'll take that. God's already saying, these things that you are impressed by do not impress me. How often does God have to say, um, everything in the earth is mine. So you building it for me is really useless. <laughs> you know, doesn't help. I don't care. What I want is your awe and respect and obedience. I don't care about all the things that you can pretty up. I want you. And notice how the New Testament just hits that, that God was teaching that right here. And the New Testament just goes crazy about that. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's what the altar looks like. You lay down on the altar. That's what God wants. God doesn't want, well, we've got a really nice building and we all show up on Sunday. Aren't you happy? No, he's not. I want you as a living sacrifice, verse 2, not conforming to the world. Don't be like them, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what I want. Everybody comes to God in the wrong way. It was interesting there at the parts that we outsiders at the Mormon facilities were allowed to, to walk into. And there was one place where they had made a gold image and the creator of it said in making it, the reason I made it was because I felt like I was so much closer to God by making this image. And notice God's very first message to Israel is don't you dare ever think like that. You do not come through anything to come to God. Not an object, 
Not a trinket, not a building, not any kind of thing matters to him in the slightest. He just wants you. He just wants your heart. He just wants your life. Hebrews 13, verse 10. Beautiful scene that we have here. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Where does God want your focus? He wants your focus on the offering. I love this. God is, I don't care about the altar. Don't touch it. Don't care. I want your heart. I want the sacrifice. I want your desire. I want you to seek after me. God doesn't care about how we can make something pretty or how much money can be spent or the externals or any of those kinds of things. He doesn't care if you can jazz up worship. He doesn't care what you think you can do. God just wants you. And I want you to see that God says, that's the reason I came to Sinai like that. The reason I came to Sinai like that was so that you would understand you didn't see anything. And this is a word-based worship. It's not about what you can see. It's not about what you can build. It's not about what you can make. It's not about what you can touch. It is a word-based worship. You heard my voice, now obey. You've heard my words, now do as I say. Thus the law of God was intended to lead to life and holiness because God is saying to them, here's my character, here's my glory, here's my nature, here's who I am. Now walk in those paths so that you can be with me. That's why the laws are given. That's why it's word-based. And then you just recognize when you set that up that way from the very get-go, we know we're going to need a sacrifice for us. You know what's going to happen. By the time Moses gets back down the mountain, it's going to take a few chapters to get down the mountain. God's going to express his laws, express his laws. He's going to finally get back down the mountain. What are the people doing? Already have veered off. God knows that. We're going to need Jesus or our sacrifice is useless. All that we can do is absolutely nothing unless we have someone to stand between us and Him. And so God is communicating that holiness. And He's cleansed us so that we would be holy. That we would follow Him and serve Him in that holiness. Recognizing what Christ has done has set us free So that we would be holy and live for him. Because he's expressed his character of holiness. 
And I want to end then in thinking about Romans 3.23 for a minute. It's, if you grew up in the pews, probably a verse you've memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And has the second part of that verse ever caught your attention about this expression of what sin is? Falling short of the glory of God. We whiz by that idea. We get the for all of sin. Okay. But think about what God is communicating here on the mountain about how glorious he is. How magnificent the scene was. And this display through his words about his glory. This is how glorious God is. And turns around and says, every single person has fallen short of that glory. What the law intends to do is to show you how far you are from the glory of God. That you are nowhere near it. You are not even close to attaining it. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Which is why the next couple of verses then goes on to say, you need a propitiation in Jesus. You need somebody to come to the rescue because your holiness is not going to work. God comes in this amazing scene of glory. And the people immediately understand we cannot handle that. We need a mediator. And that message can never be forgotten. We need a mediator because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are nowhere near what God has called us to be. That is why we are offering sacrifices of praise to God as the writer of Hebrews is describing the fruit of our lips. Because God has made it possible for us to be His people even though we're nowhere near the glory of God. That's what we're remembering every Sunday. Is a God who comes near to meet His people and brings them to Him. That we wouldn't forget His holiness and forget the glory of His nature. But that we would see our sinfulness and embrace Christ all the more. Because God has given us the mediator we need so that we can be in His very presence and stand before Him. It is shocking what God was willing to do for His people and how He beautifully pictured all the requirements and all that we would need on this very mountain. And I'll express myself in such a way that you'll never forget that you need somebody to stand between me and you. And God solves the problem because He loves us that much. Praise be to God. We're going to sing a song and we invite you to come to Jesus this very evening. That you see the glory of God, see how holy He is, how majestic He is. And that you would desire to turn away from your sins. To come to Jesus with all of your heart, following Him faithfully, serving Him faithfully. 
because through Him we can offer the sacrifices of ourselves and we can offer our praise and give Him the glory He deserves for all that He's done for us. You ready to come to Him now? Won't you come?